0: Are we able to recall a moment in our own lives, which God called us to judgment? A moment in which we were lost ourselves, in which our own lives were at stake? God demanded that we render an account of ourselves, and yet we could show nothing but debts, immeasurably great debts. Our life was stained and impure and guilty before God, and we had nothing. Absolutely nothing to show but debts and even more debts. What a privilege (laughs) to be here today and open the Word of God. I feel so humbled to be here today, and I'm a little emotional. I told the first service because this is actually the first Sunday after three months of being back that I've actually been in the auditorium and I'm preaching today too. I've been out in the lobby area, in the lower lobby area for the last three months. We're now praying through our services. We have a team of people out there right now who are praying for you, praying for me. And every week we're doing that. And we're there after the service too if you need prayer for something in your life. And so take advantage of that. You're covered in prayer right now. So, And I love what Pastor Danny said. We're turning the corner today in this series. And it's an important corner because Yeah, we can think a lot about the way we handle when sins are committed against us, but what about the sins we commit against God? I mean, that's a whole different picture. And by the way, I think we're all at home with that because we're all sinners. We're all, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's a sinner here, including myself. And just to get a little exercise going with this, maybe uh, right now, I'd like you just to look around. Not someone in your family, if you're at home watching, you can do this with people in your family, I'll let you do it, but it's better if you're here. Find someone that's not in your family, just look at them right now, just get a little eye contact, somebody outside, lock on them for just a second. Would you do that, are you looking at them? Okay, I see, all right. So here's, now, now give yourself permission to say this as you're looking at them. Now there's a wretched sinner if I've ever seen one. (laughs) Now I know a lot of you were looking at me still. You weren't playing. (laughs) And that's true, that's true. The the reality is, and it's just, I'm glad we can have a little fun with that because we need to demystify the the issue of sort of like who we are. And who we are, the Bible says are sinners. Now watch this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, Your sin doesn't identify you anymore. Aren't you glad for that? God has given us new life. If anyone is in Christ, the old is past, the new creation, the old is past, the new has come. That's the great reminder to us that God has changed us. He's forgiven us. Aren't you glad that the penalty of our sins is completely removed in Christ? Aren't you glad that the power of sin is completely removed in Christ? And yet with the presence of sin, uh, that's the problem. There's still sin around, and because of our bodies, the Bible says in First John chapter two, verses fifteen and following, it says that all that is in the, uh, the 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 lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, that you know we don't even need the devil to cause us to sin, right? I mean, you know, we used to say, "Well, the devil made me do this." No, the, the devil is not usually even involved directly with our lives. We we have enough sin nature in us to to just kind of gravitate. We're like little flicks of metal to a powerful magnet. We're just always sort of like being sucked up into the things that are not healthy for us. And, And if that's you today, then you're in the right place because today we're gonna talk about what it means to clear the slate. Now that's an old idiom. You know, when you went to school as a kid in the old days, you got a little tiny chalkboard and you got chalk and you would write out your answers that the teacher would ask you to you know, test or whatever. And if you got it wrong, you got to clear the slate. You got to just erase the slate. Now, we don't have that anymore, now we got computers, it's there forever, it's there for eternity, whatever it is that we write out, right? But the point is, God has a way of clearing the slate, and that's what we're gonna look at today from the story of David in the Old Testament. Now, we're gonna be in Psalm 51 in a minute, but we need to start in the context of Psalm 51 in an Old Testament passage Second Samuel chapter 11. If you have your Bibles and you wanna look there quickly, I'm gonna just show you one verse in that text. And you know what happened, because Danny mentioned it earlier in the service. This Psalm reminds us that David came out of a situation where he had sinned greatly before the Lord. Now remember, David was God's chosen one, God's anointed one. And you might be a little reassured that especially if you're a brand new believer or if you're looking into Christianity or following Jesus Christ, uh, you might be reassured to know that the Bible doesn't hold back in giving the truth about even God's anointed people when they fall into sin. God is, God is wanting truth to be told. And and so David, 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is the king, he's the anointed, he's the chosen of God. But David sees a beautiful woman as he's out on his palace one night. She's bathing in one of the rooftops below. And he you know just thinks about that a little bit and invites her up to the palace. And uh, you know he the Bible says he committed adultery with her. And I I don't know, we could speculate that this probably wasn't a one-time situation. And by the way, you know, Bathsheba, the, the victim in this you know, she was probably the original of the Me Too movement because she she could not deny the king. You don't say no to the king. And David has sexual relations with her; they become pregnant. He, well, she becomes pregnant, and then David has to figure out how to cover this up. So he, he takes the husband, who's Uriah. He's out on the battle lines where David ought to be, and then he calls Uriah home, and he he thinks, okay, I'll I'll give Uriah a little a little leave. And let him go into his wife and in, into the bedroom and, and, and then all this can be taken care of. Well, yeah, he's gonna cover it up. He's, he's ducking and covering. But Uriah is such a loyal guy. He said, how can I go and be with my wife when the armies of Israel are fighting and my loyalty to my king? Are you kidding? I can't do that. So he sleeps on the doorstep of his house. That's not good for David, David is not so happy about that. So David sends a little note to Joab when Uriah goes back and he says, hey Joab, when the battle gets intense, I need you to drop the troops back and let expose, expose Uriah to the enemy. And you know how the story goes, Uriah is killed. And Joab comes back to David and he says, Uriah, I did what you told me and Uriah's dead. And David kind of brushes it off. Ah, oh, that's what happens when you go to war, people die. David thought it was covered up. A year goes by. And one day Nathan hears from the Lord. Nathan's a prophet. And the Lord says, now this is, by the way, just stop right here for a second. We come to this last little verse in chapter 11 and listen to what the writer of Samuel, writer says. He says, what David did, what David, the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Now, the amazing thing about this is um, God, this is what people forget. They think they're kind of like putting it over on God. That God sees everything. (laughs) You know, so there's no fooling God. But David thinks because it wasn't called out, it's a secret, everything's good, it's all gonna be fine, Nathan has to come. And so Nathan the prophet comes. God's gonna expose because he won't, you know, David won't humble himself, so he's gonna humble him. And he brings Nathan, and Nathan says, hey, King, what's up? He probably didn't say that, but he said, "Hey, what's up?" And the king says, "What's going on?" And, and Nathan says, "Here's the deal. There's a story I need to tell you. There's two guys in your kingdom. They live in a little village outside of Jerusalem here. And uh, one is really rich. He's got all kinds of cattle and sheep. And the other one is super poor. In fact, he's so poor he's only got one little tiny lamb. And this little lamb is so precious to him. When he eats at his table, the lamb comes up and eats with him. He sups from the same cup. You know, I mean, he just paints this picture." And some of you are going, come on, are you kidding? Hey listen, I know how some of you are with your cats and your dogs. You're just the same way you know. That Nathan's describing this story. Just think about your precious little pet. And then Nathan says this, he says, but King, when the rich man had a guest come from out of town, he, instead of going to his own herds and slaughtering a sheep or a cow, he goes down to the poor man's house and he takes the little, little pet, this little ewe lamb, and he butchers it and serves it for dinner So now think about this. Your pet, this precious little pet that you have is now someone's dinner, okay? Now, okay, I I know the the idiom doesn't carry all the way over. In most cultures, we don't eat cats and dogs. We don't eat our pets. But some cultures do, okay? just, Just saying it, just putting it out there. The point is, David is incensed. David says, are you kidding me? And he's livid. His blood is boiling. The man who did this deserves to die. And Nathan looks back and says, You're the man. God springs the trap. God says through Nathan, you are the one that has been doing this in my kingdom. Now, this is both disconcerting and and comforting, all at the same time. Why? It's disconcerting because... We know that the way God works, Hebrews chapter 12, if we belong to him, God doesn't let us get out of control in our lives. He eventually steps in. This is called the perseverance of the saints. God, what God does is he steps in and he puts some correction in our life. What son does a parent have that does not discipline his son? And The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse seven, God disciplines us as sons. And if you've ever been through that in your life because of sin that you committed, uh, you can just thank God that this is the way God loves us. <laughs> But it's a, little, it's a little disconcerting, right? Because if you're hiding something right now, if you're living in sin right now, if you don't humble yourself and do what God tells you to do, God loves you so much, he's going to, or he could, expose your sin. He doesn't always do that, but he could. And that's because he loves you. So that's the dis- disconcerting part. The comforting part is, <laughs> if God treats David this way and David finds release and forgiveness from God, if God can handle the sin of David. Adultery, murder, cover-up, deceit, all these things. If God can treat David a scoundrel like David this way, then there's hope for us, amen? amen? And We ought to just be thankful. Every time I read this passage, I'm just so grateful. And when David hears this and, and Nathan says, uh, listen, you're, this is you and this is all the judgment that's coming, what you did in secret, God's gonna allow happen publicly. And he's talking about Absalom a few chapters later, 2 Samuel chapter 17, don't read it now, but he, Absalom is gonna do the very same thing that his father David did in secret, and Absalom's gonna do that with David's wives, which was not appropriate before God too. Wow. So David, when he hears all this, he says, I have what, I have sinned against the Lord. David finally comes to a place of admitting his sin. Now, the first thing that you wanna write down if you're taking notes today is is this. No matter what you've done, no matter what what sin you've committed, there's a way to be completely restored in your relationship with the Lord. I mean, that is such amazing news. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, there's a way to be fully restored in your relationship with God. I'm talking to Christians. Christians still sin, Christians still have issues with sin. Some of us are in habitual sin, some of us have addictions and we're wondering why we struggle so much and we can never get free from this. Listen, there is a way that God has prescribed for us to be completely forgiven and restored in our relationship with God. And that's what we wanna talk about today from Psalm 51. So we're gonna go back into the Psalm now and look at some of these things that David said. Let me set the table with one more little piece of information here. Let's just define our terms, confession and repentance, because here's here's the second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes, okay? If you wanna come through this time of your life, the way God restores us when we sin is through the twin graces of confession and repentance. That's what it's about. It's a very simple prescription that God gives to us in his word. Now by the way, we don't even become followers of Christ until we recognize this, right? I mean, we don't become followers of Christ because we just want a better life. We become followers of Christ because we know we have a debt that we can't pay before God. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. And God forgives us, he forgives us past, present, and even future, but there's still gonna be times where we get tangled up in sin. What do we do in those moments? To clear the slate, we need to apply the twin graces, and I say graces because these are things that God allows us to do. We couldn't even do this in our own if we wanted to. It's God's grace in the believer that allows us to confess and repent of sin. And that's a beautiful gift. We had to just embrace it and say thank you Lord. And here's what confession and repentance is. Let me just define our terms. Confession is simply agreeing with God that what we did was wrong. Now the word homologeo in the Greek language, I'm gonna use the New Testament word for for confess because in the Old Testament, confession is looked a little differently and I'm not gonna get into the nuance of that. But all through the Bible, the idea of confession, homologeo in the Greek language, means to say the same thing. You're basically agreeing with God. That's what confession is. It's not groveling, it's not you know going into this mantra or doing something, it's just, God, I agree that what I did was wrong. It was morally wrong. It was not according to the character you've given me, not according to your character. I'm agreeing with you, God, that what I did was wrong, and this is the, a fundamental problem in most people's lives. I have police officer friends who say, you know, they'll find somebody doing the act of a crime. They're in the store, they're stealing something, and they, they catch them, and the person says, no, I wasn't me, I was, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything like that. We, we live in denial of our sin. If you've got little kids, you know this too, you find them doing something wrong, and you say, why were you doing this?" They say, I wasn't doing that. This is our nature to deny what is reality. And so God says, here's here's how you clean the slate. You just start agreeing with me that what you did was wrong. That's the first step, it's beautiful. And now repentance is what follows. And, And what repentance is is simply turning away from whatever it was that was wrong and turning towards God. We turn away from our sin and we turn toward God. And by the way, the focus is not on our sin. We turn away from it and we turn to God. That's what repentance is, New Testament word metanoia in the Greek language, to turn away from. Old Testament word teshuva, to return, to come back. What God wants us to do is turn away from our sin and turn toward him and our focus is on him. That's the point. We stay away from, some of us are tangled up in sin because we're so focused on our sin all the time. We're just looking at it all the time and we're just like brought back into the, the reality of it. So. Let me give you two verses of scripture that will just kind of like frame all of this. In the confession part, 1 John 1, 9, this is beautiful. If we confess our sins, he is, why don't you read it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? This is, this is God's plan, just confess, because when you agree with God, this is what God loves to do. Psh, all right, it's all good. now. The reason why repentance goes along with this is because it's implied when we agree with God what we did was wrong, then we want to turn away from it and turn to him, right? So I love what 2 Corinthians 7.10 says. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leaves no regret, but earthly or worldly sorrow brings death. What that means is repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what you did. Repentance is a renunciation, it's a full scale renunciation of what you've done, turning away from the sin and turning toward God. Even if you have to do it 100,000 times in your life, God sees your heart and he knows whether you're confessing or repenting or not. Now in Psalm 51, where we're gonna dig in now for the next few minutes, uh, it's actually pretty simple what I wanna show you here, but I wanna point out that you don't see the words confession or repentance in this Psalm. But I'm gonna show you the themes of confession and repentance throughout this psalm. Scholars believe that this is David's full expression, it's his manifesto of what we read in 2 Samuel 12 where David said, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord, five little words. Now David, this is David's meditative, reflective, thoughtful like confession to the Lord. And it's, it's way more detailed and it's rich with meaning. I can't tell you everything about this Psalm that I would love to tell you, actually. I've had to throw a lot of stuff off the cutting board, so to speak, because we don't have time. But I'm gonna show you the highlights. And basically I wanna show you two things about confession in this Psalm, and one thing about repentance. Two things about confession, one thing about repentance. All right, so if you're taking notes, here's what you also need to see. Uh, Two things about confession. Number one, confession begins with being honest with God. Confession begins with being honest with God. This is where it all starts. It starts with our relationship with God. And this is so, so beautiful. Uh, Honest with God. Notice David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. you know what David is pointing out to us and, and in his own heart? He's reflecting on the character of God. He knows that God is gracious, compassionate, full of mercy and loving, kind, and loving kindness. Now I would suggest that for you, if, if it's hard to confess your sins to God, it's maybe because you don't understand really his character. And I know a lot of people who are really nervous about you know, confessing their sins to God because they're afraid God's gonna wipe them out. You know, like, I've been a Christian for, you know, X amount of years, and I shouldn't be struggling with this sin. I can't bring this to God because God's going to snuff me out. Hey, listen, God already knows, and God is actually leaning forward saying, Why did you come and agree with me that what you're doing is wrong? And I'm going to help you with this because I love you. When I was a kid, I did a lot of stupid things. And my parents, you know, and I'm, like David, I, I, you know, would hide my sin, so to speak. I, I would not, I would, didn't want my parents to know about stuff that I did. You know, I broke windows in my neighborhood, you know, like, I don't mean like I go out purposely and I think I'll break that window, but, you know, playing baseball or, you know, hitting rocks with a bat, that's not a, ever a good thing. And so, you know, so I, I would, I remember at times realizing, what am I doing? Because it's eating me inside. You know, neighbors coming over, hey, was your son outside playing with a bat today? They say I don't know, go ask him. Hey Larry, were you outside playing with that?" No, no, that wasn't me. You know, like I'm just a kid denying my sin, but it's eating me inside. So finally I come to my parents, yeah, it was me. I was out there, I'm stupid, I know it, you know. Like I I, I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. Now the reason why I would go to my parents was because I knew that they loved me. Now some, some of us don't have parents like that and we are fearful that they're going to bring great retribution on us for things that we do. And if that's the case, all I can say is you gotta jump over that hurdle with the reality that that's not the way the father is. We need to understand Exodus 34:6, that says our God is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and loving kindness. This is the description of our God. And so I would suggest that some people stay away from God and they don't confess simply because they're afraid of him. I had a friend in high school, and then uh, I've had many friends since, that don't wanna come to church because they're afraid something terrible is gonna happen to them if they come because you know they've sinned so much, and this is the moment. If they walk into the house of God, they're gonna get you know, hit by a bolt of lightning or something. <laughs> and now we kind of snicker at that, but, but the reality is, chances are that if any of us, even as believers, start getting involved in sin, what's the first thing that goes? Our time with God's people. And there are people not here today, not because of COVID, but because... They don't wanna be around God's people. They're afraid that there's going to be, they're gonna be outed. God's gonna put his hand of judgment on their life. But if we could just see that God is merciful and compassionate and loving, then we'd be more eager to come to him because we wouldn't be afraid of him. By the way, the other reason why we need to be honest with God is because forgiveness starts with God. Notice in verse 2, it says, it starts at the end of verse 1, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. All three of those words, blot, wash, and cleanse, are all different inferences of the same thing. It's becoming completely new. And he actually reverses this down in verse 7. He says, cleanse me, wash me, and then down in verse 9, blot out. The cleansing and the the washing is like the dirty garment in the the clothes, clothes, been, right? It, it's just soil and it needs to be washed. The cleansing is a ceremonial. You're fitted again for service. And the blotting out is actually like a judicial word that describes the, the expungement of, uh, of a penalty. And I know some people that work hard to get something on their record removed. And David says, when it comes to my sins, I know that only God can cleanse, wash, and blot out, expunge my record. And that's what God does, and that's why we come to Him. Number two, confession requires being honest with ourselves. Not just honest with God, but honest with ourselves. And there's three things here quick I'd show you. In verse three, notice David says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. The first thing, if we're honest to ourselves, honest with ourselves, the first thing we do is we stop denying our sin. We stop denying our sin. You know, the first step in any recovery program is you have to come to a place where you admit that something has overcome you that you cannot handle yourself. You have to admit there's a problem. The first way out of a problem is to admit the problem. And this is where a lot of us just never start. We're not honest with ourselves because we're always rationalizing. Whenever I talk to somebody, who opens up with, I have to tell you about a terrible sin that I did, and then they tell me what it is, and, th- and then they say in the next sentence, they say, but here's, here's why I did this, and they give an explanation for it. I realize in my heart, and I've done this enough because I can, I can hear it when somebody else says it, we're not really finished maybe with our sin, or we're not really feeling so badly about what we did, we just wanna justify what we did. And this is where a lot of people are, they justify their sin. Um, so the first step in being honest with ourselves is denying, stopping the denial. And by the way, that's, <sighs> churches are not always the safest places to be really honest about our sins. People discover that. as Soon as we admit our sins, someone's there to judge us. So a lot of us, here's what happens, we walk into a room and we look around, look at all of you guys, you look so holy today. And so someone's here, they're carrying a burden of sin and they think, I can't, I can't talk about this. I mean, I'm, I'm in the midst of God's holy people. And, and I'm sure I'm the only one that deals with this sin. Or I, nobody else deals it the way I deal with it. And so we go under, underground. And we never confess our sins. You know the Bible says in James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. And in fact, in the Greek language, it's actually, it's not one to another, it's to one another. The the idea is that there's a mutuality of confession. You confess your sin, I confess my sin. There's a sense in which it gives freedom to confess and by the way, that's why we stress community here at Three Crosses, because if you're not in community, it's doubtful that you feel this is a safe place. Like if right now I said, hey, who wants to share their greatest sin story with all of us? Let me get the mic and go down, you know. Some of you are like, ah, you know, like I don't even want to get near that guy. This, is, this would not feel safe. But if you're in a small group that love you and you've shared your heart with each other and you want to talk about something that's burdening your life, that's a beautiful place. And so many of us don't have that. Um, be honest with yourself. Number two, realize that our sins are primarily an offense against God. That's being honest with ourselves. It's against God First. Yeah David sinned against Bathsheba but when David looks at this and he thinks about it against you, verse four, against you, you only have I sinned. It's as if God was the only object that David could think of that created such disarray in his life that he had forsaken his relationship with God this way. This is the way God wants us to see our sin. As minute as it might feel to us every sin Every sin, God can and must judge. And aren't you glad, beloved, that he's judged our sin through Jesus Christ? But don't minimize sin. Our sins, if they had their way, would march right up and dethrone God himself. And so God, God is serious about sin. God is holy. God is just. He doesn't take sin lightly. But when we see it is against him and him first, then that's where things begin to change. We realize our sins are primarily an offense of God. Here's the third thing. We come to terms with sin being in our nature. Verse five, surely I was sinful at birth. Look at that. From the time my mother conceived me. Now, some people have misunderstood what this means. Um, Basically what this means is we are perfectly fitted to do the most heinous of sins because we are born in this human flesh. And given the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances and the wrong setting, any of us could commit the most heinous of sins. You know, honestly, I have the seed of racism in me. I have the seed of adultery in me. I have the seed of greed in me. I have the seed of deceit and cheating and lying. I have the seed, what are the sins? I have the seed of stealing. I have the seed of murder in my life. Larry Vold, Pastor Larry Vold. Yeah, and and the moment we embrace that, the moment we realize like who are we to judge anybody but just to see the fact that we are, this is our nature and yet we're not defined as Christians by our nature anymore. But we, you know, someone, you pick a sin that you've seen recently, and you say, I would never do that. Let me just encourage you as a pastor, don't ever say, I would never do that. Because you just haven't been in the circumstances yet that maybe that would happen. All right. So if you're going to be honest with yourself, then you've got to stop denying You gotta realize your sins are an offense first and foremost before God, and then you gotta come to terms with the fact that sin is your nature and you are prone to do anything. But by the grace of God, we don't. But if we do, what do we do? We confess and we repent. Now, let's talk about repentance. I gave you two things about confession. Let me give you one thing about repentance quickly. Repentance is the full renunciation of my sin. Remember, turning from God and turning uh, turning from sin, turning to God. Repentance is renouncing sin so that God can transform us, change us. And that's what we see throughout this psalm. We see so much language of transformation in this psalm. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Verse 8, let me hear the joy of gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Back up, verse verse 4 so you are proved right when you speak justified when you judge here's here let me give you a quick couple quick things number 1 you know god's transforming your life through repentance watch this when you accept the consequences for your sins yes. accepting consequences is the first reality of someone who's truly repentant if you're still justified oh this shouldn't happen to me how can you say that no when you accept the, the consequences of your sin Listen, God always forgives, but he doesn't always remove the consequences. You can guarantee God's gonna forgive your sin. Praise God. But God doesn't always remove. David experienced a lot of consequences from his sin with Bathsheba. Read about it there in chapter 11. A lot of problems happened in David's life because of that sin. God said, I'm gonna forgive you, and he did tell that to David through Nathan. You're forgiven of your sin, but this is is some stuff that's now gonna be in your wheelhouse and in your family line and all this stuff. So guess what, you may lose your job because of your sin. You may lose your marriage because of your sin. Wait a minute, I thought he was supposed to forgive me. I thought she was supposed to forgive me. Oh yeah, they're supposed to forgive and they will and they are and God's forgiven you too. But the damage may be so great that you may lose your marriage. You may lose your job, you may lose time I've been writing for years. uh, A friend of mine who's serving two life sentences at Soledad State Penitentiary. I'll never forget the day he gave his heart to Christ. We were at Hume Lake, Fisherman's Retreat. And I remember him coming out of the chapel and he said, Larry, I need to give my life to Christ. Now I knew of Don before, but I didn't really know his whole story. And he told me some pretty crazy stuff that night, all of which God could forgive. And we said, let's ask the Lord to forgive. He confessed, forgave, opened up his heart to Christ, became a Christ follower. And a year and a half later, or so, don't remember exactly the time, but a little while after that, Don was arrested for a crime that he had committed a couple of years before he became a follower of Christ. And he told me when that happened, he said, you know, I, I, I was in a group when this happened. I mean, I don't want to go into his story, but the point is this. When he gave his heart to Christ, he knew he was completely forgiven, but he said, God, if this ever is gonna come out, I'm not gonna deny it, I'm not gonna fight it, because I know this will be your will for my life. And Don is a, a follower of Jesus Christ, he preaches in prison cells, he's shared his story, this guy's an amazing guy, he's really a pastor in the state penitentiary. But the consequences weren't removed, God forgave him. Now that's a drastic story, but there's other things that happen in our lives too. We lose relationships, we lose integrity, we lose implicit trust, we lose all these things because of our sin. Accepting the consequences of our sins is proof God is transforming us. Number two, being honest from the inside out is proof that God is transforming us. You know, God wants honesty, there's a song out there, I don't even know the title of it, but the, the, the refrain somewhere in there is, the truth be told, the truth is rarely told. And that's because sometimes in the body of Christ, we're just not being honest. I've got a good friend who came to know Christ a few years ago, and I love being around Brian because in, especially in the first couple of years in his walk with Christ, and even I back up, even the first couple of months, every time I saw Brian, all he did was wanted to confess sin to me oh man, Larry, I can't believe what I did this week. And he'd go down the, he'd pull out notes. Here's what I did, boom, 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 boom. And you know, I, he had had a background and a religious background that he kind of thought that that was important to do, but it was so refreshing to be around Brian because every time he did, I would say, well, thanks, Brian, let me share with you how I've sinned this week. you like, whoa. You know, when you're around people that are honest, it kind of opens honesty with you. Every year I take a trip to the mountains with him and a few other guys, and every time we get into the car and go, we all share what's going on in our lives, and whenever we get to Brian, everybody goes, oh man, here we go. (laughs) Now it's all gonna be uncorked. Everybody's gonna get honest real fast. That's what the body of Christ should be. We're just honest, because we know that we're forgiven. And that doesn't mean we stay where we are, right? God wants to heal us and change us and move in us. Which brings us to the third thing. When we know God's transforming us, watch this, because we're experiencing healing, the desire for the presence of God and renewed joy in our lives. Look at verse eight. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Look at verses 11 and 12. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, this is old covenant, right? So in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit's never taken from us. But here's, here's the reality of what a a repentant heart experiences today? A desire for the presence of God, the felt presence of God. You come to church, do you spend time daily desiring, yearning for the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? A changed heart is the fourth thing, is evidence of God's transforming us. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, David writes, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Give me the want to back in my life. You know you know you haven't repented really if there's no want to. Because repentance is turning away from sin and, and toward God. It's this beautiful surge of I'm I'm back with the Lord again. And that can happen in a heartbeat. It can happen right now today. And then lastly, testifying to others is what God has done for us and what God can do in anyone is proof of our transformation. Oh man. You know, and then we start singing about it, and then we start teaching about it. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Verse 17, oh God, you will not despise. And then he describes Jerusalem, a place where there's sacrifices being made, and there's protection around the walls. There's, There's shalom, there's the peace of God once again in my life. Oh, thank God for the twin graces of confession and repentance. So that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can know you can find forgiveness and complete restoration. If we simply confess and repent of our sins, God will restore us in our relationship with him. Aren't you glad? And that's, that's a daily thing. That should be part of our breathing. Lord, I confess, I bring it out. I I ingest your reminder of your grace and your love in my life. I turn away from my sin and I move toward you and that should be just like a, a rhythm every day of our lives. So stop denying. Let's get honest in the right context with people that you love and people that love you. I sat with a guy this past week who has been through a terrible sin and he's losing his marriage and there's all kinds of issues going on. But he said to me, and I'm gonna close with this, he said, you know, so much of this I lived in secrecy because I just didn't have that trust. What he was saying is he didn't have the depth of community where he could be real. And now the price is being paid Save yourself from this, please. Maybe today the first step would just be to pray with somebody before you leave. It doesn't even have to be people in the prayer area. It might be someone around you. And if you're not ready to like unload something that you feel, and you don't have to unload a big thing. You know the sins that so easily trip us up, Hebrews 12. Those are the things we need to get rid of in our lives. Everything that is displeasing to God. I'm just saying, let's learn the language of confession and repentance. Amen. Let's pray.